Hello Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Eye Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. It is five something o'clock here on a Saturday morning in my part of the world. I do not know why I am, I am awake right now. I should be back in bed, but when a Woj Bob comes through at about 3.40 a.m. your time saying that Larry Marketing has been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers, well, as a Bulls fan who has been waiting for this move for at least the last month, even longer to be honest with you, since the last deadline, really, last trade deadline, well, you're going to go, you're going to wake up. You're going to wake up. You're not going to be able to get back to bed. And you just wanted to, I guess, get on the mic and start rambling about the Lowry Markman trade. So uh, if this, I don't know, if this podcast is all over the place, one, it's because there's been a, 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 a nice trade here for the Bulls. And we, you know, we've waited, been waiting for this deal. Like I said, for for quite some time, so I'm a bit giddy in that sense. But have you know, as well as that, I guess I'm I'm somewhat tired. I'm I'm very tired. I mean, I'm I'm tired more generally just because I've got a newborn. But uh, the fact now that uh, it is quite early my time. Uh, but nonetheless, we push on because we want to talk about the Larry Marketing deal. And uh, like I said, this is something we've been waiting for 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 a number of months now. I mean, we obviously been waiting since the start of free agency. We free agency, we knew it was going to come. It was very unlikely that Lowry was coming back to the Bulls. He made that very clear. It, it just made sense for the team to to part ways. He didn't fit on this roster after acquiring Vucevic. He most certainly didn't fit after acquiring Demar Derozan. So Lowry had to go. He needed to be moved. He wanted his money. He gets his money from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He gets a four-year, $67 million deal. In return, the Bulls get Derek Jones Jr., first-round pick, and additional draft compensation, which turns out to be a second-rounder from the Denver Nuggets. Meanwhile, Portland get Larry Nance Jr. in the trade itself. So... There we go. Larry Markin gone out of Chicago, heads not far down the road to Cleveland. Interesting situation for Larry now. I'll, I'll come back and talk to uh, talk about Larry a little bit later on, but for the Bulls, absolutely love this trade. I love it. I love it. Would I have preferred Larry Nance than Derek Jones Jr.? Yes, I would have. I, I think Larry Nance is actually the best player in the deal that was moved, but having said that, Derek Jones Jr. as a backup power forward coming off the bench is kind of like a perfect guy you'd want to put next to uh, Nikola Vucevic in the sense that he can guard multiple positions, he can guard the four, he can fly all over the court from a defensive standpoint. And, you know, to supplement Patrick Williams in that sense from as, from a power forward point of view, I like it a lot from that perspective. But the fact that you can also get someone like Derek Jones Jr., who on the break is going to run, get the balls in transition, you can get Lonzo leading a break when you've got Zach Levine, you know, De- DeMar DeRozan, but potentially now <laughs> Derek Jones Jr., all on the floor at the same time. Like, I mean, those, or those three guys can fly. So the Bulls all of a sudden have a, a team that can run, a team that can gun in certain lineups, and most certainly a team that can jump and dunk the hell out of the ball. So from that standpoint alone, the Bulls just got a lot more fun. <laughs> so so that, is, that in itself is cool as hell. But the fact that the Bulls were able to retrieve a first-round pick, which was key in all the reporting that we were getting over the last few weeks, the Bulls wanted a first-round pick in exchange for Larry Markkinen. I didn't know if they were going to get it, to be honest with you. It didn't seem like that was possible, given that... You know why would why would teams, I guess, give up a first round pick to get someone like Larry, who was commanding a lot from a dollar's point of view, and most likely was going to be a bench big no matter where he landed. I think that's the case in Cleveland, and again, I'll come back and talk about Larry a little bit later on. But to actually recoup a first round pick 
get a player who can come into the rotation and be a legitimate backup power forward in Derek Jones Jr., as well as getting a future second rounder. I don't know what that second rounder will amount to, given it's coming by the way of the Nuggets. But nonetheless, it's you acquire another second rounder, which is which is good because the Bulls had traded out a couple second rounders to acquire like DeMar DeRozan, for example. So they recoup their asset chest in that sense. You get the first, you get a second, and you get Derek Jones Jr. And importantly, Derek Jones Jr., if it doesn't work out, his contract expires after this season. So... No harm, no foul here at all for the Chicago Bulls. They achieve all their goals with this Larry Markkinen trade. They get a they get a rotational player and they get a first round pick. And from that standpoint, I couldn't be more happier. And thinking about it more holistically as well, like if you if you go back twelve months in time, the, the Bulls were targeting Derek Jones Jr. in the last free agency. They didn't obviously get him. He went to Portland. They the Bulls had the same money to offer as the Blazers last season, but I'm assuming he took Portland. The Portland deal at that point because he assumed the, the Blazers would be better than the Bulls. And to be fair, they were. So he made that bet. He got his money. He went on the bet of the team. But 12 months later, here we are talking about Derek Jones Jr. in a Chicago Bulls uniform. So the point of that, and, and this is another, I guess, element of the trade that I really like, is the fact that Karnaschovas, Eversley, they, they go and get their guy. Whether it's now, whether it's later. I mean, they wanted Lonzo at the deadline for Larry. That didn't happen. They ended up getting Lonzo anyway. They wanted Derek Jones Jr. last offseason. They didn't get him then, but they went and got him now. So my point is, you know, they go and get their guy. They went and got Vucevic. No one expected that. They got him. They got Lonzo. They got Derek Jones Jr. They obviously got DeMar DeRozan. Yes, they paid to get those guys, but the point is they focus on a guy. They lock in on a particular target, whether it's in free agency, trades, whatever it might be. This front office has now shown us enough evidence to suggest that they can go out and get their guy. So if for no other reason at all, like from that perspective, this trade is a huge win as well. So obviously there's other reasons to like this deal, but again, that's just another thing that jumps to mind as to why this makes a lot of sense for the Chicago Bulls. And like, again, expanding on that thought, like we've had four sign and trades this off seasons. I mean, we're four weeks into free agency at this point. Free agency has pretty much been run and won. We, we, we're, we're down to the dog days, let's say. There's not much more that's going to be happening. But in four weeks through free agency, the Bulls have made four sign and trades. Lonzo was a sign and trade. Caruso, I think, technically was a sign and trade. Maybe maybe I'm wrong on that one. But uh, DeMar DeRozan was most certainly a sign and trade. Now, here we are with Larry, Larry Market, a sign and trade. The Bulls aren't the ones necessarily getting back the player who has been signed and traded. They're sending him out. But the point is they've, they've executed deals here where, again, they've been operating above the cap. And if you've been listening to any of the last few previous episodes of Bulls HQ, I think one of the reasons why I've been so jubilant about this this uh, offseason is, is maybe less so about the names that have been acquired, but how they've been acquired. And I think that how is so important about you know judging how we should be feeling about this management team. The fact that they're willing to go out there and get their guy, put their nuts on the line, get whoever they want. Yes, they have to sacrifice an assets, a few assets to do so, but it's creative. It's risky. It's what we wanted. It's the opposite of Garpack. So this is why I'm very buoyant about this thing. Again, I have no idea if any of this is going to work. Maybe it just completely smashes us in our face and we look stupid in, in, a, in a few months' time for thinking this team could uh, amount to anything. But at this point, I don't really care because again, it's about the how. It's about the process. It's about the execution. So from that standpoint, I respect it. So thinking about like all the things I've said about you know, the DeRozan deal, how they acquired Lonzo, this extends here to the marketing trade as well. So again, another reason to be very, very happy and pleased just about the process, the results, we'll, we'll see. But again, 
irrespective of the results, process is what matters to me at this point. And um, from that standpoint, I'm really happy. But again, coming back to thinking about how this is going to work on the court, another reason why I love this move as well is because the Bulls finally rid themselves of, of these, I guess, lineups where they have, are forced into playing two traditionally sized bigs. And again, if you've been listening to this show for a number of years, if you've been following me on Twitter, again, something that I've been consistently been hammering something that has consistently freaking pissed me off is the Bulls always playing two or always playing lineups that had two traditionally sized bigs. I mean, that's how they rebooted this rebuild or started the rebuild, I should say. You drafted Larry Markton, then you bring through Wendell Carter. Like that's two bigs. You can't necessarily go small with those lineups and, and having both of those guys on the court. That's, that's not an option. It wasn't an option last season when they acquired Daniel Tyson Vucevic. You had Larry obviously coming off the bench at that point. Like you were always going to have a, a, another traditionally sized big and you know you obviously had that in there as well. So that was four typical power forward centers that they had in the rotation even last season. And like that was a constant theme under the Garpex era. But now this season coming up, the Bulls have Patrick Williams and DeMar DeRozan in that starting unit who will sort of, I guess, switch between who's the three and the four. Like That's exciting. Then coming off the bench, you have Derrick Jones Jr. who will play some wing, but he will also play some power forward. That, again, is exciting. Now, the Bulls probably need to go out there and, and get another big in free agency. They're, I think, $6.4 million under the tax line right now. So, Theoretically, like, and I believe they have a five million dollar traded player exception. Again, if I'm not wrong, correct me if I'm, I am. But again, it is it is very early my time. But nonetheless, like, the point is they have avenues to go and get a backup big, whether it's someone like Paul Millsap. I mean, that would be the dream. But even if it's some, if it's someone like like I don't know, first name that comes to mind is Isaiah Hartenstein, who was with the Rockets last season, I believe. Like, just a, another backup big who can throw out a power forward at, or at center. Just another rotational guy. The Bulls have another open roster spot. They have they're on six point four million dollars under the tax. Like they still have room to move here is the point. So from that standpoint, the Bulls can play quick, fast, athletic players at their power forward position, something they haven't really had a chance to do forever, to be honest with you. I mean, it was a staple through the Gar Packs era. It was something that continued last season in Karnashovas' first real season until he started really remodeling the uh, the team. But now we're getting a look at it now. We're getting to see these lineups. Or we'll, we will get a chance to see lineups that have Patrick Williams at power forward, DeMar DeRozan at power forward, Derek Jones Jr. at power forward. And having guys like that next to Vucevic, who is more your traditionally sized big, who's slower, plotting, more wants to be inside the post, to have spacing options around them. No, I mean, not to say that Tomato Rosen and, and Derek Jones Jr. are the, better, the best shooters in the world, but the point is that, you know, they're, they're wing-sized guys who move like wing-sized players, which is something Lowry wasn't. And that's why Lowry needed to go, because he just didn't fit on this roster. He didn't fit next to Vucevic, and that's why a sign-and-trade needed to happen. And the fact that the Bulls were able to get back a player like Derek Jones Jr., who fits a mold that I'm very excited about, that makes a lot of sense. And not, not to mention, you get back a first-round pick. That is super important for the Bulls. One, because they have traded a number of first-round picks in the future. Obviously, they gave up their 2021 first in the Wendell Carter trade. That went to Orlando. And the 2023 first-round pick is going to Orlando. And a 2025 pick is going to the Spurs. So in that sense, the Bulls have two more firsts owing to them. So the, I mean, I, I, again, I was fine with that. You've you got to give something up to get something. But obviously, you would, you would prefer to have your first-round picks. So to get back a first-round pick from the Blazers in this instance, 
that's that's pretty that's pretty tasty. And and, and why that matters is the Bulls. Uh, I guess it's not necessarily the Bulls, but the Blazers. I, I don't know how good the Blazers are going to be. I mean, they uh, before this deal here where they acquired Larry Nance deal, uh, Larry Nance Jr. I think the biggest acquisition they had this offseason was maybe signing former Bull Tony Snell as as a free agent. Maybe I'm forgetting one or two moves here or there on the periphery. But the the point is they have done jack shit in the offseason. I don't really rate that Blazers team to do much in the playoffs. Um, at all. So if they do make the playoffs, I think they'll probably be in, you know, a six or seven seed, meaning this pick will sort of transfer in the, I don't know, let's call it the 15 to 20 range, um, which is, which is good. The Bulls could potentially have a mid lotto, mid lotto pick next season. And that's, that, that's good to have, particularly as this tampering investigation sort of looms in the background. We don't know the result of that just yet. Who knows when that will drop? But in the event the Bulls are sort of stung a first-round pick, they take away the Bulls' uh, 2022 first-round pick as a worst-case scenario, then here you are. You've rec- recouped another first-round pick in that sense, so you don't necessarily miss out on the draft, or hopefully you don't miss out on the draft because this pick I should have mentioned earlier is is lottery-protected. It's, it's lottery-protected 1 through 14. So, of course, there's a, there's a chance you don't get it next season if the Blazers don't make the playoffs, which I guess is a possibility. Like I said, I don't particularly rate this Blazers team, but yeah, maybe, maybe they still get in the playoffs. And I guess at this point, as Bulls fans, we should be uh, rooting for the for the Blazers not to trade Damian Lillard because uh, they're yeah, the chances of them making the postseason without Damian Lillard is very very slim. So uh, <laughs> let, let's hope he stays in Portland from that standpoint. They get in as an eighth seed, and uh, the Bulls get like the fifteenth or sixteenth pick in the draft, something like that. And uh, again, just thinking about it from that standpoint as well, like th- there's a reality where the Bulls actually have a better first round pick than than their own in next year's next year's draft. Like as an example, if the Blazers are the eighth seed in the West and the Bulls are like the fifth seed in the East and have a better record than the Blazers then maybe the Bulls pick is pick 20. Maybe the Blazers are picking a pick 16 or something like that. And the Bulls come away with two first round picks. Or like I said, in, in, in a scenario where uh, the league takes the Bulls' pick, again, the Bulls still come out as winners in a sense because they've moved up in the draft and have recouped a pick in that draft. So from that point of view as well, it, I love the deal. It just speaks to the creativity of a tourist kind of show of his Mark Eversley and the fact that, you know, They've been able to retool this roster. I was I was a bit critical before the trade deadline, um, and yeah, I, was, I wasn't really sure where this thing was headed even into the offseason, to be honest with you. Obviously, they made the big play with Nikola Vucevic. I, I supported the trade at the time. I thought it was a good deal for the Bulls. I still do. But uh, given the results, given the fact that they didn't necessarily uh, advance into the playoffs like they were pushing towards, it was I, I didn't know what to make of it. But now after what I've seen in the offseason, how they've gone about it, again, the how... I'm convinced that the Bulls now have the right management team in place. So uh, very, very buoyant about this, Bulls fans. Hopefully that is coming through despite uh, despite my, my voice sounding somewhat croaky. Uh, this is the first time I've actually spoken this morning. But um, yeah, a very, a very good end to the marketing situation here, I think, for the Bulls. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. 
And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Maybe we can transition from there to, to thinking about Lowry and the fact that obviously it didn't work here in Chicago. And, you know, part of that's on Lowry. I just don't think I don't think he's as good as maybe some thought he was. And to be fair, there was a, a period in uh, February of 20, 2019 where uh, I thought he was going to be better than what he was ultimately as well. So we all fell victim to it in a sense, but um, it just never was going to work here in Chicago. It never worked or he never really had a chance to make it work in part because to me, he's just a role guy who was put into a situation where he was expected to be a star, expected to be a franchise caliber player. And that was kind of always flawed just from the get-go just because ultimately he's he's a role guy, I guess. He probably will be a role guy in, in Cleveland. And he most certainly was going to be a role guy here in Chicago. But even beyond that, like, you know, just beyond the limitations that Larry Markkinen has as a player, which we've all gone into in great length over the last number of years. Like the Bulls never really set him up for success either. So in those first two seasons, not, I mean, he's a big man that requires, uh, you know, someone to create offense for him. You can't give him the ball in isolation for him to do things. And I mean, there are very few bigs in the league who, who you can do that with, but particularly like a big who gets so much of his offense through his jump shot. Like you need playmaking around him and the Bulls just never supported him with adequate playmaking. So in that sense, we shouldn't be surprised that Larry Mark never really amounted to much in Chicago, at least not never amounted to the expectations that maybe some of us had for Larry initially. So from from that standpoint, like I'll always be, there'll always be a part of me that wonders what could have been if the Bulls treated that initial rebuild correctly. Had they gone and got a guard to support Larry, to support Levine, to support Wendell Carter much sooner. But nonetheless, it is what it is, and, and Larry heads to Cleveland, where he actually gets to play with some decent guards. I mean, Colin Sexton, not much of a passer, but Darius Garland is. He he has a, an ability to run, pick, and roll, and, and to find guys, and to create for others. So that'll be a good situation from Larry, for Larry in that sense. But the Cavs also acquired Ricky Rubio, and I'm assuming they're going to uh, hold on to him for at least this next season. And Rubio is a name that many of us have discussed as Bulls fans as someone to bring through it through uh, through at the point guard position over the last you know two seasons at least so he maybe if, if Lowry and Rubio are in that second unit together maybe they can find a connection in the pick and roll where again Lowry finally gets an opportunity to play with probably the best passer he's played through or would have played with during his first you know four or five years in the league so from that standpoint I wouldn't be surprised if Lowry actually has a decent season in Cleveland because he's actually going to be playing with some guards who can create for him. And the fit for Lowry in Cleveland is better in Cleveland than it would have been in Chicago. But nonetheless, like I know the dude got his money. He got his four-year, $67 million deal. But I'm not even convinced that Lowry is, be- is the third best big on that team. Like Maybe he is. Like Obviously, Kevin Love is still around. You've got Jared Allen, who the, who the Cavs re-signed to a deal that pays him $20 million annually. He's going to be their starting center. And, you know, in the draft, they just, they just took Evan Mobley as well. So like... 
Where does Lowry fit in all that? I'm assuming the Cavs will buy out Love and, and maybe after that, it'll make a little bit more sense. But like I said before, I, th- I think Larry Nance is actually the best player in the trade, to be honest. This is a trade of backup bigs and, and Larry Nance, I think, is the best big that was moved in this trade. But I, I don't, I'm not even convinced Lowry starts in Cleveland, to be fair. Like, they've just drafted Evan Mobley. You just signed Jarrett Allen to a huge deal. Allen is, you know, an obvious center. Lowry Market is most certainly not a center. Evan Mobley is a guy that can sort of play both positions, but given that he's so young, I'm assuming they want to play him at power forward and not, maybe not welcoming him into the NBA and having to ask an 18 or a 19 year old kid to go up there and bruise with some big centers. So maybe that will start him off at power forward. Now, I guess it'll become a situation of, you know, do you bring Mobley off the bench initially and then maybe he t- takes over from marketing at some point? But Nonetheless, I mean, if Evan Mobley is not better than Larry Markin on day one of training camp, then it won't be damn long before he is. So I don't know. Larry gets his money. He gets his, you know, $16.5 million, whatever it equates to. But I don't know if he's in necessarily a better position, let's say, because he made it very clear that he wanted to be a starter in the NBA. He wanted to start elsewhere, which is part of the reason why he wanted to exit Chicago. I mean, he wanted a starting role. He wanted his money. He got something close to his money. He probably wanted a bit more, to be frank, but something closer to the, to what Jared Allen, Allen got, actually, ironically. But, you know, he still gets $16.5 million per season, but I'm not convinced he gets a starting role. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with Larry. But, I mean, he's got a good defensive center next to him, obviously, in Jared Allen. Evan Mobley, from a defensive standpoint, can be trans- transcendent on that end. Isaac Okoro on the wing as well can be a good defensive player. That that backcourt of Sexton and uh, Garland, not really a uh, a good defensive backcourt. But I guess what I'm saying, that there is some infrastructure there in Cleveland to make sense or where it does make sense for Larry to sort of fit in there. But again, it'll be probably, I think over the long term, it will be as a sixth man type, whether you know, at least initially, maybe Evan Mobley transfers to center at some point. Maybe they trade uh, Jarrett Allen down the line and Larry goes back into a starting lineup type role there. I'm speculating. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe he gets a start initially, like I said, and then they transfer Mobley in there at some point. But I don't know. I I don't really love this if I'm, if I'm Larry Markin, to be honest with you. I'm going from Chicago to Cleveland. I mean, that's a downgrade in itself. But I don't know if I've necessarily improved my situation. Am I guaranteed to be getting more than 25 minutes in Cleveland per game? I don't think that's guaranteed, to be frank. It certainly wasn't going to be the case in Chicago. I don't think that's guaranteed in Cleveland. So, yeah, just an interesting situation there for for Lowry. And, you know, I, I don't resent Lowry for wanting to be out of Chicago. I don't have any issues with Lowry wanting to exit Chicago. If I was in his position as well, I would have uh, would have done the same. Maybe he should have played his cards a little bit differently, but nonetheless, it is what it is. So we'll obviously be getting a chance to see Lowry quite frequently. Quite frequently, he he's staying with within the division, so the Bulls and Cavs will probably be playing three to four times a year as they typically do. So we will be seeing Lowry quite a bit, assuming he remains healthy. Which again. Uh, is a big if sometimes, given that he's missed 15, 20, 30 games in each of his seasons. So we'll see how that shakes out for Markkinen. But look, I, I, I don't I don't have any issues with losing Markkinen at all. And, and I, one of the big things that I kept hearing over the last few weeks as it was maybe more likely that Larry potentially was coming back to the Bulls on a qualifying offer. I, I never really believed that, but that was a scuttlebutt that was you know, being mentioned, whether it was by Bulls beat guys or just the fan base as well. I think people were coming to terms with Lowry coming back on a qualifying offer type deal. And 
To me, that never really made sense, again, because of all the fit things that I've discussed before. But one of the reasons that people were sort of rationalizing it in their mind was the fact that, you know, Lowry coming back on a qualifying offer that would have paid him $9 million on a, on a one-year deal, coming off the bench and spotting up from, from, from three and, you know, hitting 40% of his threes as he did last season. Like, th- there was value to that. And I understand that point. But again, the fit never made sense to me. And I, I think people as well just get a little bit misguided by the fact that there's a seven-foot guy that can shoot threes and you know that's not that's nice to have obviously you, you know if you can have your bigs that can that can step out to the three-point line and shoot from three like again that's nice to have but I don't think the Bulls actually lose anything by losing marketing and his shooting and I say that because you, you bring in Lonzo Ball into that starting starting unit re- effectively replacing Larry, Larry Markin's shooting and, and the reason why I say that is is a couple numbers for you so Lonzo Ball in his NBA career to date has played 217 games Larry Markkinen, similarly to Ball, same number of years, 221 games. Lonzo Ball, 485 made three-pointers on what 1,373 attempts, which equates to 35.5% on his career. Larry Markkinen, 493 three-point makes over 1,346 attempts which equates to 36.6%. So we're talking about an an insanely similar volume in both makes and attempts, and essentially the percentage difference is 1% on their career, which is very interesting to think about given all the narratives around Lonzo Ball as a shooter. And again, maybe the narratives about Larry Markkinen as a shooter, the fact that he was meant to come into the league and be this three-point sniper. And he hasn't really been that beyond last season, I guess. And you know, before that, he was just an average league, a league average shooter from three, pretty much. And yes, I understand he's a seven foot big, but the fact that he is a seven foot big who isn't running around screens and shooting on the move like someone like Davis Batans, for example, Marketing is a spot up shooter. He's a release valve in the offense, and as we saw last season, he's someone that can be gamed out of the offense by you know, opposing defense is sticking a guard or a wing on him because they just know he's just going to spot up at the three-point line, can't necessarily do much else. He's not going to take you into the post. He's not going to take you off the bounce. So I don't actually think there's a lot of functional sense or any functional value, let's say, of Larry Markkinen as a shooter, as as a seven-footer because, I mean, one, he's not that great of a shooter. He's, He's a good shooter, but he's not a great shooter. You've replaced him with Lonzo Ball in that sense. You're getting similar volume, similar percentage. And the fact that that player was already being guarded by a wing or a guard or whatever it might be, like, again, it's you weren't creating any mismatches or any matchup headaches with Larry as, his, as a shooter in that sense because teams were just switching guards on him anyway. So to me, the Bulls lose nothing from a shooting standpoint. They gain athleticism in Derek Jones Jr. They gain defense in Derek Jones Jr. And you know, importantly, they maintain their cap flexibility. They get a first round draft pick. And like I said, they're they're six or so million dollars under the tax line, meaning they can go and fill out this roster. They've got, you know, one or two two more spots open in this roster or on this roster. So they have the vet minimums to use. They have the biannual exception to use if if they want to. I believe they have a 5 million traded player exception to use if, again, they want to. So they've got avenues to add players, I guess is the point. 
And like I mentioned before, if you can get through a guy like Paul Millsap who can come in and either be your backup power forward in certain lineups, if you want to play D, Derek Jones Jr. at on the wing, or maybe you go small and have Millsap as a backup center, which is probably his preferred role at this point of his career. And then you have Derek Jones Jr., Troy, Bar- Troy Brown Jr. on the wing as well. We've got a few more juniors coming through. Now we've got a couple bench juniors off <laughs> coming off the bench here for the Bulls. So that's most certainly going to get confusing at some point. But I guess the point is, you know, if you can go and grab Paul Millsap and just continue to add to this defensive versatility, like then that becomes very interesting for the Bulls. One of the main, uh, I guess, issues that I had with this new look roster was like, how is it going to work defensively? And I guess that was the one question we had. And to a sense, Derek Jones Jr. addresses that or helps you address that. Now, if you can go get through another bench player who can, you know, he's more defensive-minded, who I think at this point of his career, Paul Paul Millsap is. He's not necessarily the same offensive player he once was. But if you can round out your bench and you can have guys like Caruso, Derek Jones Jr., Paul Millsap, Troy Brown Jr. coming off your bench from a, a defensive standpoint whilst hoping Patrick Williams can blossom into a, a really nice help defender. A defender. Obviously, Lonzo can, can do some stuff on defense too. Then then there is scope for this Bulls team to be at least average on defense, whilst obviously there being enough scope on offense for this to be a top 10 offense. So again, from that standpoint, I, I really like the deal. I forgot to mention Tony Bradley as well. Like, I mean, there's defensive scope in his game as well. So maybe, maybe we're sleeping on Tony Bradley and he can be a fine for the Bulls on the minimum deal as well. Maybe maybe there's scope for him to be a good backup big as well. So I, I guess that's something I should be thinking about. Like for whatever reason, I keep forgetting Tony Bradley, but maybe you know, on, as a flyer, as an option, he could be someone that the Bulls could add or they have added, obviously, and, and he becomes something more than what I'm expecting. So in that sense, again, maybe there is a chance here that this defense can be decent. And that's all they need to be. If they can be anywhere between, say, 12 and 17 in the league, whilst being, you know, 8th to 12 on offense, let's say, in terms of offensive rating and defensive rating, then that should be good enough to be a 45-win team in the East, hopefully. Obviously, health permitting and all those sorts of things. But I guess the point is, if, if, if the Bulls can be competent enough on defense and the offense can be what it hopes, what we hope it can be, then I think we should be confident about this Bulls team. And, and adding Derek Jones Jr. now, like the Bulls have a solid eight-man rotation. You've got your starters. The starting unit is crisp. We know how good it looks on paper. Hopefully, it functions as well on the court. But then you've got Caruso coming off the bench. Derek, Derek Jones Jr. off the bench. Those two guys are going to bring defense. They're going to hustle their ass off. You've got Kobe coming off of the bench who, you know, hopefully post his injury and he can come back healthy soon, uh, sooner rather than later, then... Kobe is in the right role for himself now as well. Like again, if you've been listening to the show for you know a number of years, or even seen me on Twitter and maybe yelled at me on Twitter about um, me preferring Kobe coming off the bench as a bench gunner, like this is the perfect role for Kobe. So like for those three guys off the bench as an eight eight man rotation, maybe you can go and find one other free agent and hope someone like Tony Bradley sort of clicks, or maybe it's I, or maybe it's Marco Simonovic, or whatever it might be. Or Troy Brown Jr. as well, I'm forgetting as well. So the Bulls have a solid eight-man rotation. I think they've got two or three guys on their bench who can maybe break into that rotation and make it decent. But if you can go and grab that one extra guy, then to me, this season is you know perfect, essentially. As, as good as it could be, realistically speaking, that is. like it, Thus far, you know, ticks, ticks all around from my, from my standpoint. So maybe... 
maybe we can close the podcast here. One, because I, I, I'm rambling somewhat, but two, I'm, I'm tired as hell as well, but uh, I should probably go back to bed. But nonetheless, like the more I think about this deal, again, just, just coming back to what I said before, it, it's it's less about the names and more so the the execution. How you've gone about acquiring Derek Jones Jr., the fact that you were able to recoup something from Larry Markkinen, you know, thinking about the Garpax era, like I mentioned before, like this this offseason, the Bulls have executed four sign and trades. Like, did the Garpax era ever, you know, return four sign and trades? I can't I can't think of four. I can think of one off the top of my head, which is Carlos Boozer, who was technically a sign and trade in 2010. But I mean, beyond that, like what other options were there or what other moves were there that were sign and trades? They sure as shit went for in quick succession like this. So it, the way it's happened in that sense is very encouraging. You've been able to recoup a good player for Larry. You've gotten an asset for Larry that hopefully, you know, you get back in 2022. And, you know, we'll see obviously how it plays out with Portland that they are somewhat, uh, somewhat guided by the Blazers in that sense. Um, like I said before, Bulls fans, we have to be praying that Damian Lillard isn't traded so that the Blazers pick, uh, so the Blazers are a playoff team or have a bet their best chance of being a playoff team and that pick can convey and, and maybe they can deal him in the offseason after we get that pick. Like, I'm fine with that. But nonetheless, to, to, to get something of value back for Larry and not just something of value, something good, something that's going to impact you and going to impact your rotation straight away, but also to get back a first rounder as well, a first rounder who, you know, could be legitimately good. You know, a mood first in next year's draft, I'll almost certainly take that. And if it doesn't convert to a first next season, again, I should have mentioned this earlier, but the Bulls essentially have until 2028, I think it is, to get a first out of the Portland Trailblazers. That pick is lottery protected until 2028, until it can convert into two second rounders. So the Bulls have a lot of chances to get that first out of Portland. But nonetheless, I mean, even in worst case scenario, if that doesn't happen, you still got to play a back in for Lowry in Derek Jones Jr. So... The, the trade itself, who they got back, very encouraging. But, you know, thinking beyond that, the way it's happened, how it's happened, that's the reason why I am happy Bulls fans. I'm hoping I've conveyed that to you and I'm hoping I've been able to convince you of that. Maybe I didn't even need to because maybe, you know, you were already feeling the same. And, you know, based on how I've seen every other move that's happened during this offseason, Bulls fans have been quite happy with how that's transpired. Whether it was Lonzo, whether it was DeMar DeRozan, Caruso, now adding, you know, Derek Jones Jr. for Larry Market. And seemingly, it sounds and feels like we're all on the same page, which is, uh, which is nice to be honest with you. Now, we'll obviously see how it plays out in the season. Maybe if this team doesn't gel or come together like we hoped, maybe, uh, we're feeling differently. But, um, until then, uh, I think at this point anyway, we're, we're all happy. We're all excited and we should be because the way it's happened. The way this has all come together in this offseason, this is how a big market moves. This is how a big market operates. So I'm excited about that, if for nothing else. But um, look, we'll call it there, Bulls fans. Like I said, I, I just wanted to get on the mic and offer my thoughts. Pretty excited about it. I'm tired, but I'm excited. And um, yeah, that was the last big thing the Bulls needed to do in the offseason. Get rid- get something of value for Larry Markin. They've done that. Like I said, let's maybe fill out the bench. Let's hit training camp in, in a month's time and uh, let's rip into next season. But uh, yeah, until then, I suppose, we'll, we'll see how the next couple of weeks shake out. We'll see how the Bulls mold the remaining couple spots on their roster. But uh, until then, maybe we'll call it there. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans. 
If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so in all the usual spots at MK Hoops at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, there's a link to Discord in the description of this podcast episode. Come join in the conversation about our Bulls on Bulls HQ Discord. Obviously, a lot of Larry Markman talk in there at the moment. So if you want to be part of it, hit the invite, be part of it. But uh, yeah, let's call it there. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans. We'll be back probably next week to to discuss this trade more, to discuss the offseason more in depth as well. But uh, we'll call it here. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate your support over the offseason. Bulls HQ has been doing some um, some big numbers over the offseason and uh, that's only possible with your support. And to be fair with AK and Mark Eversley making some positive moves, maybe that's a reason for it as well. But nonetheless, um, I appreciate everyone tuning in. That, that That's the point I wanted to get across. So uh, thank you for doing so. But uh, until next time, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.